Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast. We pray that this message blesses you and helps you to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. Let's dive in. Well, well we, we all know how it feels to fail, don't we? Come on, listen, if you don't know how it is to fail, you just failed because you're lying. Like, like we, we know how it feels. I, I remember uh, the moment that Jackie and I, we were coaching a couple. Can't say counseling because I'm not a counselor. We were coaching a couple and encouraging them in the scriptures and, and was telling them, hey, every year on our anniversary, August 21st, we cast vision for our marriage. And it was in that moment that the record scratched and Everybody just started looking at me smiling, and Jackie is looking at me smiling. I'm like, what? What did I say? I was like, oh, no, what's the day? (laughs) Missed it. August 21st. Forgot my anniversary. You guys aren't laughing. It's not funny. I know. Not funny at all. And uh, how many of you guys know that that meeting ended real quick? I'm like, you don't need to take counsel from me. We're done. I got to figure this out. And uh, Jackie was super gracious, though, super gracious. But, But we all know how it feels to fail. We all know that moment of exposure. I'm thinking about uh, Android this last year. A lot of their devices, you couldn't call 911. I mean, that's a big fail. Can I pick on Android for a minute? Some of y'all need to come over to the, to the Apple side, right? On, on top of that, their, their, their Android Auto wasn't working either, had a hard time connecting to Google Maps. So not only could you not call 911, but you, didn't, you couldn't figure out where you're going. So... Come on over to the apple side. Just kidding. But, but even us as churches, we missed it this last year. Look at this church. Bless their hearts. Having trouble sleeping? Try one of our sermons. Right? You know the heart behind it. They're like, yeah, listen, like God wants to give you peace. People are driving by like, no, you're going to put me to sleep. So, so we all miss it. But, but let's, let's get a little more serious. Kanye West posted this uh, on his Instagram I, like yesterday or the day before. And, you know, Kanye has been in you know, the, the, the media and the news and all over social media. And, and as, as a pastor, you know, people may look at him like, oh, you're tripping, you're crazy, like, what are you doing? Some are like, yeah, you should keep going. But as a pastor, I see tension. I see struggle between the kingdom and the world. I, I, see, I see an inner struggle, admitting that I, I made some mistakes and now we're, I'm getting a divorce. It's very public and, and you can see that, man, I, I know I, I had some failures, but I, oh, it's really going to end. And so he writes things on here is divorce feels like full-blown COVID. Divorce feels like you're receiving a spiritual beating every evening. Divorce feels like you've got broken into. And he just goes on. And, and, and anybody that knows that moment of failure that's serious, that, that really just, man, hit in a way that, you never expected it. It's, it's the worst feeling in the world. No matter how successful you are, no matter how much you've accomplished, we all experience the reality of failure. And it's one thing when you don't really try and you fail, you don't really trip too much. But you know that, that time when you really tried, like you put in all the effort, like you gave it all you had and it didn't work. It still didn't go the way that you thought. And, and then all of a sudden you're feeling bold and good about yourself and then in the next moment you just feel so vulnerable like like you went from tall to like really small and we live in such a results orientated world where everything is based on performance it can be really tough in that tension when things don't work in fact I think we find ourselves in 
in a couple of different places. I think what we find ourselves in the midst of failure, crippled by discouragement. We find ourselves crippled by disappointment. Some of you have, have been here for a long time. And it's just become the way that you live your life now. There, there's a sense of, of fear and anxiety because you don't have control over that situation anymore or that circumstance. It's just, it's, it's out of my hands. And whenever you lose control, a lot of times there's fear to meet you there. There's anxiety to meet you. I think for, for others of us, we, we've experienced a crushing where maybe it's been our failure, maybe somebody else's failure, but we've just been wounded and we're hurt and it's really hard to imagine more in that space. And I think what, where this kind of leads us is to, to kind of a critical mindset that, that God, I don't even know if I could even think or imagine that, that there is more on the other side of this. We start to get critical to the idea of even God stepping in and doing something. But what if I told you that failure doesn't have to be fatal? In fact, I would argue that failure isn't fatal. It's just simply forced growth. Winston Churchill, his famous line says that success is going from failure to failure without the loss of enthusiasm. Wow. What if I told you that success and failure travel the same road? In fact, John Stott was the creator of the polio vaccine. He tried 200 times, failed. He didn't get it right till the two, till two on, on the 201st try, he finally figured out the formula. So when he was interviewed, they asked him, they said, hey, John, how does it feel to fail 200 times? He was like, oh, no, that's not how I was raised. He said, no, um, my family didn't raise me to, I, I didn't fail at anything. He said, I just figured out 200 ways not to make polio vaccine. But, but how many of you guys are grateful he didn't stop on 10? On 200 and so, so failure is only fatal if we fail to learn, if we fail to grow, and we fail to face and invite God into to those moments. In fact, it says this in uh, Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. Anybody, anybody in this place have foolishness on repeat? Is there anybody else, I should say, besides me that has foolishness on repeat in certain areas? And you, you ask yourself the question, like, why? Like, why do I keep, anybody ever say this to yourself? Why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep falling into this? Why do I keep stepping in the puddle in my white shoes? I saw that puddle yesterday. Because a lot of times we don't want to come face to face. We deal with symptoms, but we don't want to come face to face with the reality. We don't want to invite Jesus to get to the root. And so if we fail to learn, we fail to grow, we fail to invite Jesus in, then we, we end up in a place where we're stuck. And we're wrestling and we're trying to figure stuff out. But I'm grateful for the scripture because the Bible is, is so transparent about people's struggles. And we see that in this ancient culture, it's no different than ours, that, that these guys and ladies were wrestling through some failure. Now, we're going to look at a guy by the name of Moses today, super familiar guy. So listen, if you've been in church your whole life, don't check out. Just roll with me. I'm going somewhere. Mo Moses is an interesting guy. A lot of times we don't think of him as a failure. We think of him as a deliverer. We think of him as a leader who led millions of people out of the desert or out of Egypt through the desert into the promised land. We, we think about a man who stood up to the face of Pharaoh. 
the king of Egypt at the time, demanding that he let God's people go. I mean, that's pretty bold. It's pretty courageous. We think of Moses as a man that God used to do miracles through, but many times we don't think about him as a failure. When we think about Moses, maybe if you're a pastor because you know or, or even studying the Bible a lot, maybe you know, it, it comes to mind once in a while. But I think for the most part, we, we don't really focus on Moses' flaws. I mean, Moses was so bad. This dude broke all the Ten Commandments at one time. Exodus 32, he got mad and broke the, ten, broke the tablets. Christian jokes, that one didn't land. It landed first service. It were first service, but it's all good. So... So, so here, Moses, he's, he's born a Hebrew. Let me give you a little context. Born a Hebrew, born into oppression under the hand of the Egyptians. And right from his birth, the enemy was trying to kill him. In fact, as the population of the Israelites grew, Pharaoh fe- felt a, a threat that they might grow too much and overthrow them. So he had all the firstborn boys killed, thrown into the river, destroyed. So Moses' mom realizes that, man, there's something special about my son. And so we see the first act of civil disobedience right here in the book of Exodus. That anytime the civil law tries to trump God's law, it's a no-go. And so, so she kind of does this like half compromise where I'm going to put him in the river, but I'm going to put him in a basket. I think it's safe to say that Moses was the first basket case in the world. <laughs> Come on, just want to make you still That's Christian jokes. Come on. Want to make sure you're still alive. Going through some context. And so, so she, she put him in a basket. Pharaoh's daughter found him, fell in love with him, sent him back to be nursed, invited him back into to Pharaoh's court, back into the house of Pharaoh where he became a, a, a man of great education. We see from the book of Acts that he was a man of great speech, a man of action, a man of great uh, power and deed, word and deed. He was an educated guy. And, and Moses is about 40 years old and, and something's about to shift. He's starting to see the world a little bit differently. He's realized that he's a Hebrew and he sees how his people are being mistreated. And so it says this in Exodus 2, verse 11 and 12. It says, one day after Moses had grown up, so again, he's about 40 years old here. He went to where his own people were and he watched them and their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. So looking this way and that away. You ever, you ever look this way and that away? Let's see if anybody's looking. I'm about to kill this dude. And, and, and that's what he did. He, he killed the Egyptian, and then he buried him like a gangster in the sand. In the sand. And I think Moses went home that night. Okay, like I think Moses went home that night feeling or, or trying to justify his actions. Anybody, after you make a mistake, you just work really, really hard to make excuses and justify. He deserved it. Yep. Look at me, deliverer. I helped that guy. I know I killed and buried another man, but that's besides the point. Like God has called me. Like I think Moses had a sense of the call. He had a sense. But he killed a man trying to rationalize through that reality. And I think Moses, he, he, he was obviously able to figure it out in sleep B- because we see what happens next. He, he seems to be okay where he's still comfortable telling people what to do, but, but he recognizes that now this is not just an Egyptian problem, this is a Hebrew problem because he, he finds two Hebrews fighting. And he asks 
the one in the wrong said, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Anybody have a conversation like that? Just trying to help. And it's like, who made you judge? Only God can judge me. Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid. This is where we know he, he knew he was wrong. What I did must have become known. So Moses was totally bold and confident until he was exposed. Like just killed a man, comes around, and the next day, it's like, hey, you guys shouldn't be fighting. And they're like, bro, you just killed somebody. It's a perfect example of, of trying to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye when you have a log in your own. And we're so bold until we're exposed. We're so bossy until all of a sudden, oh, oh you know. How much do you know? How do you even know? And so, and so we, we feel that. And they said, who made you ruler? And the truth is, in this moment, Moses made himself ruler. See, it's really easy to judge Moses, but I think a lot of us, many times, we get ahead of God. We try to take control of things, take things into our own hands, even though God may have a call on our life. And there may be some, uh, some uh, and the motivation might be right. But we take things into our own hands, and like Moses, when we do that, when we try to control, we get ahead of God, we take things into our own hands. How many of you guys know we kill some things? And then when it doesn't work out, we kind of just bury it and don't want to deal with it. We kill some relationships. We've murdered some opportunities. We've destroyed some, some God moments. And then it's like, oh, man, I'm good. Uh, and, and we kind of go back to life. We never come face to face until it starts to get uncovered. And then we're like, oh, no. Then we start to get afraid. My, my daughter, she, um, she called me out the other day. We, I, I was correcting her on picking up after herself. And she was like, Dad, and this is my middle child. She's like, Dad, but, but you leave your gummy bear wrappers like out all the time. I'm like, girl, I'm studying for a message. And I clean it up in the morning at least, right? But I didn't say any of that. I'm like, man, point taken. Let's move on, right? Uh, but instantly you want to justify yourself when you're exposed. You get afraid, so you want to get on the defense. One of the great ways to learn where, wherever you get on the defense, those are areas you want to lean into. Those are areas that God wants to do something in. And so, so Moses is, has the heart of a Hebrew, but he's still thinking like a pagan, He's still thinking like an Egyptian. Because in, in this ancient culture, what Moses did wasn't uncommon. He was functioning like a Hebrew, but thinking like a pagan. So what happened? Pharaoh got word. Moses is afraid. And we realize this beautiful picture that Moses had a sense of the call, but not yet the character for it. That God had called him. And, and his inkling was right. I sensed the call of God on my life. He had zeal without knowledge. He had skill without wisdom. Come on, you know how it is, like you're crushing it on your job. Or at least you think you're crushing it on your job, but you're hurting a ton of people in the process. 
Like at home, like, man, you're, you're getting your way and you, you got skill. You can use your words and you get into an argument, put people in their place. But then you're just destroying things because you're just lacking self-awareness and wisdom. Anybody ever feel like that? And so, so Moses could have got away with this. He could have went back to Pharaoh like, hey, man, this dude, because royalty could kill commoners. It, that was not uncommon. Moses could have made up a little story. Pharaoh would have gave him a high five. Hey, what, what happened? Oh, okay, well, come on, let's eat. But that's not what happened because something was changing on the inside of Moses. He was just going about a good thing in a wrong way. Because we see that Moses wasn't going to go back to Egypt. And we learn this. We learn this from Exodus chapter 2, verse 13. It says, by faith, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So Moses had made up his mind. But now he's in a tough spot because now he's rejected by the Egyptians. He's now rejected by the Hebrews because they're like, we, you're not our judge or ruler. And so now Moses, you know, that lonely feeling. It, it's, it's so amazing to me that minds of great virtue can also be subject to great vice. Like, like when, when the God-given assets that he, he's given us, start to be tainted with pride and control and manipulation and haste and stubbornness, all of a sudden those assets become liabilities. And Moses, he, he's, he's afraid. He's, he's like, oh, I, I, I've, been, I've been found out. So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. I'm found out. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. Now, again, Moses could have easily went back to Pharaoh, but Moses wasn't about that. And Pharaoh wants to kill him, I don't think because, simply because Moses killed an Egyptian, I think Pharaoh wanted to kill him because he's siding with the Hebrews. He's like, you, you traded. And so Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Isn't this a, a great picture of, of what happens to us? He's exposed, he loses control, fear and anxiety set in. And so what does he do? He feared, he fled, and he settled. Some of you have, have been living your life in this way. And I think the word Midian is really gonna help us because the word Midian, it means three things in the Hebrew. It means judgment, covering, and habit. So, so could it be, can I just like, I'm going to read into this. This isn't scripture. This is me speaking. But could it be that sometimes we have a, when, when we are in, in moments where we fail or we make a mistake, we have this habit of trying to cover the judgment. I don't want to be judged by people. I don't want to be judged by God. Like I just got to, I got to try to hide. I got to, I, I got I to, gotta, I'm afraid. So I just got to run. And then we settle in that space. And can I just tell you in that space, when you settle, it's so hard to imagine more in that space. Because our heart is living in a place and in a condition that God was like, man, that is not my best for you. So, so I'm here to tell you today that, that if you're in Midian or you may be entering into a Midian season, that God has more in your Midian. See, see Midian, it, it was a desert region. It was a desert place. And can I encourage you with this reality that the desert, a lot of times we see it as destruction, but it's really development. 
The enemy wants to destroy you in the desert. God's like, I want to develop you. I told you uh, that I, I ended up getting pneumonia in the beginning of January, and I still haven't been well. I don't have COVID anymore. I've been tested like twice. You can't get it back to back, so just relax. Um, but but I, I've, been, I've been sick for eight weeks. Had to go back to the doctor yesterday, get on another antibiotic. Because after COVID, then I, I think I was on so many antibiotics, I got another cold. The cold just never went away, turned into an infection. So I'm like, I'm getting old. But I told you that, that this, this, the last eight weeks have been such a gift. Like my surrender to the Lord, my tenderness towards his voice, my heart is deepened for my wife and my kids and our church. But it's a gift that's strangely wrapped. Like I wouldn't go and say, I want that gift. But, but now I'm realizing that, that, listen, the desert is simply a gift. It's just strangely wrapped. It's just wrapped a little differently. In fact, if you're taking notes, you're going to definitely want to jot this down. Is that desert times are development times, not wasted times, and are often before the promised times. So, so you may find yourself in a desert not just simply from a failure, but maybe it's a time of testing. Maybe it's a time of preparation. But you feel the dryness you feel the heat on your back. And so, so, but let me show you how a lot of times that desert times are development times, not wasted times, because we kind of like the first part of preach as well. Desert times, development times, getting developed. And then you're in the desert for like three years. You're like, oh, this is wasted time. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh no, it's a promise time. So, so many times I think it's in the wasted, what we think or we see is the wasted moments. There's, there's, there's those moments where we just can't imagine more and we think it's a waste. And God says, man, there's a promise on the other side of this. And I'm going to show you. So look at Jesus. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He was led into the desert. But, but look how he comes out. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He went into the desert, led by the Spirit, came out in the power of the Spirit. Like what happened in that time of prayer, fasting, testing? The outcome was power. See, the desert is a place where we learn, ladies and gentlemen, what Zechariah said in Zechariah 4, verse 6, that it's not by might nor by strength, but it's by my spirit. The desert teaches us dependence on the spirit of God. It teaches us surrender. Why? Because we don't have control. Because if we did, most of us would not be in the desert. And a desert for you, what what does that look like for you? It's, it's, It's the moment where you feel like, God, are you with me? What's happening? I don't understand. What's supposed to go like this? And it's, it's just hard to imagine more. Oh, you might be in a desert season. We, we see King David, 1 Samuel chapter 16. What happens? Uh, Samuel comes to anoint the next king of Israel, rejects all of David's uh, brothers, and he asks his dad, Jesse, hey, do you got any more sons? He said, yeah, I got one. He's out in the wilderness He's out in the desert taking care of sheep. So Samuel's like, hey, bring him to me. And when he sees David, he's like, God said, that's my guy. He gets anointed at about 17. 
you know, he's learning some things out there in the desert. He's learning how to work that little slingshot. He, he's, he's trusting God as the lion and the bear, try to take the sheep. David's like, man, I crushed it with my hands. So David is learning some stuff. And so when he sees Goliath, he's at the age of about 19 when he slays Goliath. Amazing, right? Like, who is this kid? And then where does he go from there? Back to the desert. Back to the desert for 20 chapters. That's a long time. In fact, he was anointed king at 17, but didn't take the throne until he was 30. 30 years old. He's declared king 20 chapters later. And where is he declared king? In the desert. We gotta start looking at the desert differently. God was developing David. God was teaching him integrity. There was a moment where he could have killed the man, the, the, the king at the time, King Saul, who was pursuing him. Saul went into a cave to go to the bathroom, and David happened to be in that cave. And David could have cut that man. But David said, no, no, no. I, I've learned some things out here. I, that's God's job. God wants me to be king. See, see, the difference between David and Moses, this is the moment. David had spent a lot of time in the desert already. Moses was in the palace. But David had already been on the run. He, he had learned some things. He had experienced some pain. He's, he's gone through some stuff. God is developing him. And so here he is at the moment where he could have took it into his own hands and put himself as king. But he's like, I'm not doing that. God was teaching him integrity. He was building his character. And, and so we, we see this in Psalm 78, verse uh, 70 and 72, that he chose David as servant and took him from the sheep pens, took him from tending sheep. He brought him out to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance, and David shepherded them, look at with integrity of heart and skillful hands. He led them. Skill is not enough. Skill will get you in the door, character keeps you. I remember when we were first getting ready to come to, to here to Fountain, we were, we were planning on planting a church five years before we came here. And so Jackie and I, we had been praying. We just felt, just like Moses, we felt this inkling. God was stirring us, and, and we were going to plant a church. And I didn't realize why I was struggling so much. I'm like, God, I feel like this is what you want us to do, but I'm wrestling. And so long story short, I feel like the Lord said, you need to invite your pastor at a greater level into this. And so I went to him, and I was just like, hey, listen, we got this dream in our heart, and he's like, yeah, man. He said, man, you, you guys are ready. Like, you guys got the skill, but I'm just, I have a reservation on the timing. And so everybody told me, no, you can't. Like, he's never going to want to let you go. He loves you too much. Just do it. Take it into your own hands. Control your destiny. And I realized is that what David realized, and because of David's life, it helped me realize that no man can keep me from my destiny. But what God was teaching me for the next five years, we stayed. He was teaching me submission to authority. He was teaching me honor. There were still parts of my character that, that needed to be developed for where God was going to take us. It's in the desert that we, we, we learn to hear from God. We, we, we begin to see him as our protector, our provider. We learn how to honor him and fear him and depend on him. David built his best men in the desert. They're, they were like the Israel's elite Navy SEALs. Where were they built? They were built in the desert. So just two things I want you to take home. Number one is this, is that the desert is a place where people meet God. 
Like, like, let me give you some more. Genesis chapter 28, Jacob saw a stairway to heaven. Heaven opens up in the desert. Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 19, he hears the still voice of God. Where? In the wilderness. Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist is preaching and declaring, make way for the kingdom of God. Where? In the desert. Saul of Tarsus, which we know later as Paul, as he wrestled through the Old Testament to try to figure out like, Oh my goodness, I just had this encounter with God, and now I'm trying to understand the Old Testament in light of, you know, the New, New Testament living. And where did God send him to? To Arabia. Where, where did he spend three years developing? In the desert. We, we see this shift in Hosea where the Lord told Hosea, I'm going to draw you into the desert so that you'll stop calling me master and start calling me husband. There was this shift in Hosea where no longer are you the boss and the person making all the rules or telling me what to do, but Jose's realizing, no, you love me, you're for me, and I love you back. But I think the problem is, is in the West, we hate the desert. Like, we're just trained and taught, like, no. Unless you're in Palm Springs, and you're like, hey. We, 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 we want to eradicate. If you're in the desert, something's wrong. It could just be a season of development. And so, so Moses, get this picture, he leaves everything, wanders into the desert. Moses' name means to be drawn out. So fitting. Doesn't feel like he fits with the Egyptians, doesn't feel like he fits with the Hebrews. He failed, and he chose not to go back. He's like, I can't go back to Egypt, but these people are rejecting me. I'm going to a foreign place. I, I don't know what's on the other side of this. And so he stops by a well, and these ladies are having a hard time with some shepherds, so David or uh, uh, Moses rises up and takes care of them, and then he waters their flocks. So they went home and told their dad, like, Dad, like this guy, this Egyptian helped us out. Because they didn't really know he was a Hebrew, he looked like an Egyptian. And, and they're like, Man, this guy helped us out. Uh, their father was the priest of Midian. And so he's like, What? what? He watered your flocks. Like, you let this guy go? Like, go get that guy, bring him back here. Because in, in this ancient culture, guys, they didn't water the flocks. That wasn't their responsibility. So Jethro was like, this, is a, this guy's a keeper. Go back and get this guy. None, none of you guys thought that was funny. I thought it was funny. But, um, and so, so here in the very moment that he goes into the desert, what does God do? Puts him in a small group with Jethro the priest. <laughs> if you are in the desert or if you're not in the desert, you need to be in a small group. But he puts him in a, in a community. And I think it's in the desert where we see the love of God. Look, so look what happens. So he said to his daughters, where's he at? Why have you left this man? Like, bring him back so we can eat some bread. And so Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, which means I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. So, so get, get this picture. In the desert, we also see God's compassion for us his provision, his grace, his love, and his care for us. What did Moses find first in the desert? He found his wife, a family. God gave him a son. So we just see God's hand upon Moses' life. He hasn't, listen, if you're in the desert right now, he's not forgotten. He's, he's not forgotten about you. Some of your greatest gifts can come from the desert. They're, it's just strangely wrapped. And so, so Moses, we see, though, he's settled, but he's not settled. Because look what he names his son. He names his son, I become a foreigner in a foreign land. So it sounds like he's a little bit bitter still. 
It's still early in the game. He's like, I still don't know where I fit. I'm rejected by the Egyptians, rejected by the Hebrews. Can I just tell you, sometimes God will take you to a foreign place, a strange place that you don't know. You have no authority. You don't have any control. And he humbles us. He strips us. And then Moses moves from striving, taking control, to serving. As Exodus 3 lets us know that he became a tender of his father-in-law's sheep. He says, you're going to serve under your father-in-law for 40 years. See what the desert does? It does this. You, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. All of a sudden, you see King David is like, I desperately need you. And where is he at? The desert. Tell me, the desert is a place where we meet God, where we long for God. Listen, when you're, when, you're, when you're seeking God, when you're thirsting for him, when, when, you, when you're, you're longing for him and you're parched, when he shows up, you're ready. All right, God, I'm here. I'm so ready for whatever you have next. And so Moses, for 40 years, God was going to teach him that deliverance doesn't come from your hand, my friend. It comes from mine. You were trying to relieve people for a moment. I'm trying to relieve them for a lifetime. I mean, imagine Moses was trying to clip them off one by one. Last one. Next day. I mean, that's not sustainable or scalable. God's like, man, Moses, it's not going to work like that. That's, that's like the mafia stuff. We're trying to build the kingdom here, right? I want to set them free to worship. And so Moses is out here, and we learned this last point, is that the desert is a place where we find strength for the call. There's a man by the name of Admiral Willem McRaven. He spoke at uh, a commencement for Texas University in Austin, and he titled his commencement, he titled it 10 Things, 10 Ways to Change the World. He's a former Navy SEAL, and so we talked about as a Navy SEAL how he would, you know, it was all about, you know, calisthenics every day, hours of this, hours of long runs and swims and exercise and working out. And what they're trying to do, they're trying to break you. They're trying to get you to panic and so we said, if, if you didn't live up to the standards, what they would do to you, they would, they would put your name on a board. Anybody ever got their name on the board? You don't want to do that in like Navy SEAL training. And then they would send you to what's called a circus. And a circus is two more hours of calisthenics. And then you don't want to go to the circus because you have two more hours of calisthenics. Then you're going to be tired for the next day. And then you get your name on the board again. And then it's just designed to wear you out so you ring that bell and quit. But then what they noticed is nobody wanted the circus, but the guys that were coming out of the circus, were, were, they ended up better and, and more stronger and started producing more than those who were killing it before. And so all of a sudden, the desert, the circus didn't become something that was dreaded, but something that people wanted to embrace to grow. And so what happened, Moses is in a circus. It's desert, it's dry, it's desperate. He's a shepherd, and he's far away from home. And the moment comes. Like, like 40 years, think about that. Like I, one year, maybe I still can imagine more. Three, maybe. Seven, I'm dying. 14, I'm stuck. 40 years. 
Moses can't talk well anymore. He's lost all of his skills. and Egypt is out of him. And then God shows up. In that moment. I want you to see this. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Like his weakest moment. Where he's the most insecure. Feels like he's just, I'm just, I'm nothing. Moses saw that through the bush, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why this bush does not burn up. I will go over and see this strange sight. It's a gift, it's just strangely wrapped. And so think about this for a moment. Think about how the bush feels. Like you could have picked anything on the planet. Like it would have made sense for God to pick the moon. The moon like screams out like, Moses! Yes, God. But he, he picks a bush that doesn't flower, brittle and dry, Many bushes like it, just insignificant, ugly bush. And he engulfs it in flames. You know, God uses the foolish things to confuse the wise. Many scholars believe that the bush is a representation of Israel, that they're called to be a light. And though they'll be persecuted, they will never be consumed. But I think this is also a picture of of Moses. Like, why didn't you, God, you call him when he was at his best, when he was mighty in speech and deed and act, men of action. Now he's like, man, unsure of himself, insignificant, at his weakest, still not coming face to face with his failure. And God says, yes, just like this bush, I'm going to light you on fire and use you to deliver a nation. It's not in your grandest moment. It's now that you're stripped of everything, that you're in a dry and a weary land, that you're seeing me now. It's going to be my way. And and I think this is so special. I used to think this, hey, you need to come face to face with your failures. I don't see it like that anymore. I think you need to first see his face and then see your failures through him. Because Moses is going to have to go back to Egypt. God's like, you're going to have to come face to face with your biggest failure. And you're going to go tell the king who wanted, well, that king passed away. But the next pharaoh, the king that wants to kill you, you're going to have to tell them, let my people go. Moses is like, whoa, like, time out. God, don't you see me? God's like, yeah, I do. Now I'm going to use you in a way that you could have never imagined. But God, how am I going to do it? How am I going to face this? I'm going to be with you. We're going to do it together. You can only bury things so long, ladies and gentlemen. Pain has a 100% resurrection rate. It comes out. The desert is a gift. It's just strangely wrapped. So I want you to consider this thought as we wrap up. Where are you trying to be God? Like, where are you taking things into your own hands? What are you trying to control? Jackie's, Pastor Jackie's word was right on the money. What are you trying to control? And we didn't talk about that, by the way. Like, hey, girl, get a prophetic word, and then I'm going to preach this. It's going to be good. 
what are you trying to control? Where, where are you? And you say, well, I don't even know where to start. Well, where are you most anxious? Where are you most afraid? And, and where if you lost control, you would, oh, God. Where are you most defensive? Where are you manipulating? Where are you, where are you hiding? Start there. And then ask yourself this question, where am I trying to be God rather than trusting him? Desert's a gift. Devil wants it to destroy you. God's like, no, no, no. I'm going to develop you. But you got to trust me. So you're not going to face it by yourself. I'm going to be with you. And I'm kind of powerful. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for our time together. Listen, I just sense if you're here today and like you just know God is speaking to you. Don't leave this moment without responding to this moment. If you just say, man, Pastor Matt, I, I just need, I need God to heal me. I need to restore me, him to restore me. I need to come face to face, but I want to do it with him and not by myself. If that's you, would you slip up your hand and say, man, I, I need to surrender my life to Jesus today. I need to rededicate my life to him. If you're online, please let us know. We'd love to pray with you. If you're here and just say, man, I'll, I need you, God. I want to see you so that I can face and deal with the things that I need to face. I'm not going to have you slip up your hand on that, but you know if that's you. So, Lord, I pray that you would come, Holy Spirit. Oh, God, I, I don't stand up here as a, um, as a man without failure. I am a bush just like Moses, a foolish thing that you made a trophy of your grace. So I pray that you'd heal today, that you would restore that where we've settled God, we would see that there's more in our Midian. We may not be able to see it right away, but Lord, I pray that we'd trust you in the desert. Help us to meet with you in this time, God. Draw us to you. Or strengthen us for what you've called us to. We need you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 Well, yeah, let's, we can give God a big hand of praise. Thank you again for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast, where our heart is to lead people to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. You can also find more content by following us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and by downloading our app.